we were when we were when we were children, and my my mother would be um, would sit there, and we'd all be sitting there on the floor, and she'd say, "I tell you about Ginny Green Chief," and um, she used to be fast, and she had, she used to have this this long blonde hair, and she'd have a silver comb, and but the minute she sat on your windowsill, you knew there was someone was gonna go. And we were terrified, terrified to go to bed then. Okay, so it's Sunday 12th and it's 4pm. My name is Helen Alice Stenson. I was born in 1992 and I come from Crosby. This documentary will follow the investigation of paranormal incidents in Sefton. Many of us wonder at the paranormal. It parallels our everyday lives, lurking somewhere between imagination, adrenaline, and that inexplicable but assured sixth sense, responsible for the prickling of hairs on the backs of our necks and the goosebumps on our arms. But whether these entities exist or not is beyond anything that we can comprehend. And so we are given ghost stories tall tales, watered down fragments of truth that might once have existed within somebody's reality. And here is where this story comes in. I will attempt to unearth the buried fragments of truth that lie within Sefton's tall tales, which will hopefully culminate in finding the lost stories that lie forgotten, or for whatever reason, suppressed at the very root. That sound okay? Perfect, if a little hyperbolic. Oh, shut up. Want to interview me? Are you a ghost? Negative. No, then. So, when do you get your uniform? What? You know, now that you're a fully-fledged Ghostbuster. I'm not a Ghostbuster. You basically just said you were going to bust ghosts. I said I was going to unearth some legends. That's vastly different. I think you'd look adorable in a Ghostbuster costume. And that's the reason why you're not making this documentary. Sure you want to get that? You never know, it might be Ginny Greenteeth texting you. It's Chris. Ah, Chris, your other boyfriend. The director of the project. Well, you spend more time on the phone with him than me. What do you want? Well, remember I told you about that book I've been reading, Paranormal Merseyside? Don't tell me you got an interview with Ginny. No. The guy Stephen who wrote it has said he'll do an interview. Nice one. I know, right? Oh, hell, I almost forgot. Yeah? Bill Murray dropped by earlier. He said it was pretty urgent. Apparently something strange was going on in the neighbourhood. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> it's Tuesday and it's July 14th. I'm en route to interview Stephen Tucker. He's the author of Paranormal Merseyside. I have a feeling he's going to play an important part in discovering the stems of Sefton's legends. The book has a lot in it. There's the mention of Old Trash, a demon dog that roams the coast. Supposedly, he's a sort of were figure. It must be an old story, though, because I've not heard of it until now. There's some stuff about Ginny in there, too, only it's a little different to Vera's version. Oh, apparently Ginny, or Jenny, green teeth, as some refer to her, is actually a personification of Duckweed. And it was used to warn young children away from drowning in the swamps. Yep, yeah, I have to say.
say I am a little disappointed with the origin of that one. So you wanted to know about um, something called zoo farm phenomena, um, mystery animals in the area. Um, Sefton area, uh, north of Liverpool, has, has one in particular which is often known as um, Old Trash or Shriker, which is supposedly a kind of demon dog type thing, which is uh, meant to uh, haunt the beaches around Sefton. But it's, it's curious because um, it, it belongs to some kind of folkloric phenomenon known as black dogs, which are known from all over the country. But there's not actually that many genuine witness accounts of seeing it, so you have to wonder whether it's a legend or whether it's real. However, there are, there are some alleged accounts online you can find from people who claim that, um, I think there's one man who claims he was camping out in sand dunes and he heard a strange whistling noise and then he, he saw the dog on top of a sand dune supposedly I think it had red glowing eyes and it kind of went away abnormally quickly or something like that. I've heard that story before. Dave used to tell us the dog was a werewolf though. Probably because they didn't want us running around the beach at night. I didn't know you lived in Waterloo. Yeah, yeah, when we were kids. Never saw any black dog like. Although that radar tower used to scare the shit out of me. What radar tower? I see four docks. Used to play by them when we were little and pretend it was haunted. Did you never get into trouble? Nah, it's abandoned, isn't it? But there used to be a story about this old man who was meant to live at the top. And once a year, he'd send out this giant flash of light as a signal. Sort of like a lighthouse, because he was trying to find his lost love at sea. Oh, that's sweet. Ah, but the thing was, if the light touched anything or anyone else, that would be the last of them. Can you still go there? Yeah, I think so. It's pretty grim. It's boarded up and there's corrugated iron everywhere. Hmm, okay. Interesting. It's Wednesday, July 15th, and it's 9.30am. The interview with Stephen was enlightening. I actually feel like I'm really onto something here. And I found a new lead, thanks to Nick, the abandoned radar tower in Waterloo. After doing some online research, I found that there's been local gossip about a recurring sharp stream of lights coming from the top of the tower every once in a while, although few have actually witnessed it. I don't know how much of this will be hearsay, but I think it's definitely worth taking a look at. Poltergeists, they're, they're of a different order because they actually produce physical effects upon the environment. So, if say one, you know, typical poltergeist might smash a window, pick up a vase and smash it or whatever, um, afterwards that vase remains smashed, doesn't it? Whereas if a person sees a ghost, all that you've got to go on is usually their memory. So, I think poltergeists uh, are altogether a different kind of thing than, than actual apparitions or ghosts. I mean, you can put whatever explanation you like onto them, whether you think they're literally the spirits of the dead or not. Personally, I'm unconvinced that they are. But I, I do think the poltergeists in, in particular exist. There's just a large number of cases from all over the world, from um, right throughout history, quite well documented. And some of them are so obscure, which people would be very unlikely to have heard of. And yet the same specific features seem to pop up in case from case to case. 
even in cases where um, the victims, if you want to call them victims, would, would probably not have, have realised that certain obscure things that poltergeists do, they do, if you see what I mean. Wednesday, July 15th, and it's 7.30pm. I'm currently staring up at the abandoned radar tower. It doesn't seem to be very paranormally active at present. Uh, the most impressive thing is the approaching twilight flickering on the waves, and the, the morbid shadow of the radar tower blacking the sea as the sun sets in vivid oranges and bloody crimsons. Hmm. Sadly, the most paranormal sighting has been the deathly reek of an abandoned Adidas trainer being swallowed up by the sand. The radar tower is visually ominous, but it's just also entirely normal and quite boring. Yeah. I tried poking about the base to look for a way in, but it's, it's just all concrete and jagged pieces of metal. The windows are either boarded up or it's just too dusty to see anything through. I don't know what I was expecting, honestly, but I think I might need to do some more research on this and revisit it. Yeah, it looks like we might be at a dead end for today. about the, um, the nature and, and uses of, of, of bogeyman. Um, I think the main use of the bogeyman figure, well there are two main uses of the bogeyman figure, um, and I think one of them is a kind of form of simple social control. Like for example, there was um, there's a figure of uh, Jenny Greenteeth in, in the Merseyside area, in the Northwest in general. Now, Jenny Greenteeth was supposed to be some kind of green witch who lurked beneath um, pools of water and if you go too near you'll get dragged under uh, people from the television and um, However, um, she's However, Jenny Greenteeth was actually used um, by parents to warn children off going near ponds where it was possibly to drown. shouldn't obsess over it. It's just an old ghost story my mum told me so we wouldn't have to go near the asbestos or whatever. I can't believe you actually went. And what have you done to your ankle? Oh, a trip. It doesn't matter. Look, it was a good lead. And now look what I found. How many photographs of the same building do you need? I'm trying to track any activity so I can try to be there for when it happens next. It's not going to happen. It's not real. Look at this one. It's a satellite photo. You tell me you don't see a light coming from it there. It's literally the blurriest shot I've ever seen. Oh, hell, come on, you're covering a whole wall with them? It's visual documentation, Nick. It's important research. You can't research something that doesn't exist. Look, why don't you try and find another lead, at least for a little while? I'm starting to worry you're getting too into this. It's my work, Nick. Is not sleeping part of your job requirement? Look, why don't you go and explore something else, another area, anything, come on. Well, actually, I was thinking of getting in touch with the local parish. Yes, that sounds better. Do that. It's funny... One minute you're sceptical of my evidential photographs, and the next you're a fully-fledged believer in all things divine. I just think it's worth taking a new direction. Okay, fine. I'll get in touch with the church tomorrow, okay? Okay. 
Now come to bed, it's late. I'm okay. I think I'm going to stay up just for another hour or so. I really want to finish aligning these images. It's two in the morning, Hal. Okay, okay. Half an hour. I'll wait up for you. No, don't worry about it. Love you. stigmatic called Louise Latel and there was a strange French clergyman, um, who's now a saint, called um, Jean Vianney. He was um, the curé of ours, he was, he was a priest in a remote French community. And if you look at the way that Theresa Higginson claimed to be persecuted by a poltergeist, it's actually quite similar to the way that these other two people that she knew of were also claiming to be persecuted. Because um, Jean Vianney, the curé of ours, he... Um, he claimed to be tormented by the devil. He said the devil did um, assaulted him. It dragged him off the bed. It created loud rapping noises and so forth. And if you look at Teresa Higginson again, she says it dragged out of bed by it. Loud rapping noises. Uh, supposed to have assaulted her. So even there are very very obscure things which supposedly happened to him, which also she said happened to her. Like for instance, there was a case where Viani opened the pot inside the pot there was a piece of meat that was on a holy day when you're not supposed to eat meat. She also claimed that the devil, or poltergeist, whichever, had um, inserted some meat into um, a pot that, that she had on a holy day. So it seems almost as if she was modelling her experiences on his. And again, in terms of the actual phenomenon themselves, they seem to manifest as the devil, in her view. Um, well, that was probably just because these things tend to adapt themselves to the times. So she was expecting to encounter something which might have been like the devil. She was a religious fanatic who did things like um, she cut holes in herself and put turpentine in them. She deliberately ate rotten food and drank um, water which had fish guts and stuff in it. And, um, she deliberately burned herself and put irons all over herself barbed wire type things into her stomach so she was a religious fanatic and she almost desired to be persecuted by the devil as some kind of perverse you know look at my suffering on I religious look at what I'm going through for Christ for Jesus for, for God you have a new message and three saved messages new messages Hi, my name's Helen Stenson. I'm calling from a company called Theatre in the Rough. I was hoping I could maybe speak to someone about conducting an interview. I'm currently making a documentary on local ghost stories and I came across an article about the sighting of a ghost in your church. Um, of course, I understand if you'd rather not talk about that specifically. 
maybe we could focus on the history of the church. It would be a wonderful bit of research to add to the project. Um, if you are interested at all, please do get in touch. I'm available on this number or by email. straight he emailed you back with his number to call him about the project yes and you called him and then he has a go at you i literally sat there with the phone away from my ear while he ranted on about how much of a child i was for ghost hunting which is completely not what i said what did you say you were doing well i even said if he felt uncomfortable it was fine and i asked him if he wanted to do an interview about the history of the church and i couldn't believe it he was so aggressive Helen, are you sure he... Yes, look, I know I've been a bit loopy recently, but I'm not going mad enough to confuse when someone is declining an interview and when they're being a patronising prick. Okay, okay. look, I'm sorry for being so negative recently, but maybe this is a sign that you're just chasing smoke? All of these stories have either been myths or founded on some sort of religious basis, and now you have a statement, and okay, an incredibly out-of-order one, but it is still a statement, that suggests that maybe you shouldn't be combing through hundreds of photographs of God knows what every single night. Nick, I know you're trying to help, but I have to do this project, and I will finish it. came out of the blue. You have no idea who she is. Chris knows her. Oh, Chris knows her. You've never even met her. And now she's taking you to what? Some abandoned farm? It's nuts. She's a normal person. She's had an exorcism done. She seems really nice. This is ridiculous. I can't believe you're going. I won't let you. Well, this isn't 1965 and I'm not a fucking Stepford wife. Seriously, you moan at me for not getting anywhere with this project and then when I finally find something, you don't want me to look into it. You're being a moron. And you're being naive. I didn't realise until he actually came that he was one of these, must have been one of these spiritualists, because he, he told me he saw my grandmother, he saw a lady standing behind me with a black mantilla on, and she had a cameo, and she was throwing holy water over my shoulder. And he said, and I can see the other man going out, going out, so, well, you've just described my grandma, and I've actually got her black mantilla that she wore to mass, and, I, and, and I've got her cameo. And she was Manx. So he said, could he, would he like me to do something? I unwittingly said yes. But that kicked things off big time. I had strange things happening. You know, things like a knife that I always use disappeared and I found it on top of the top cupboards. Well, I'm not tall enough to reach up there and I would never put, you know, the favourite knife. Little bits go missing and turn up in strange places and as if it's trying to play with your, your mind. We had odd smells on the landing, terrible smells on the landing. We got someone in from the council to test for this sort of gas that can come up from the ground, but his machine just went berserk, so he couldn't do anything. 
Well, I'd say rotten cabbage was sort of like quite nice compared to it. Just really peculiar. You couldn't identify it with anything, really. Phoebe had strange dreams. My daughter was about 10 at the time, and that were out of her experience. And she came into me one morning. She told me that she'd, um, she told me she'd had this dream. She said she'd woken up with blood coming out of her mouth, and she said, I woke up as I was dying. And I had an old colleague who used to teach with me when I was young. And he and his wife come to the church nearby, and he'd said, he said, well, and the vicar there did a healing service. And he and his wife were one of the eight people appointed by the Archbishop of Canterbury as official healers for the, for the church. So um, he did this service once a week. And they said, well, you go up for your boys and we'll go up for you, because they knew how worried I was about them. So I went up, and when, when, he, when he laid his hand on my hand on my shoulder, I felt like a sort of electricity feeling. And, but it was nice, and I got home and I felt a lot more positive and everything. And that was fine, so I thought, okay, so it was obviously giving me something to help cope. But then, um, my daughter had been staying over with friends um, for the night, and quite early in the morning, I heard her call me, and I thought, oh, God, it's early for them to drop her back. So I got out of bed, and something hit me, and it was an electricity feeling again. I ended up on my back on the floor, and I, <coughs> and I thought I'd had a heart attack, and I thought, well, actually, no, because you're not feeling ill, you're fine. I thought, and I sort of equated it with that feeling a nice feeling of electricity I'd had from, from the service. So I got in touch with the vicar and said, you know, can I talk this through with you? And August 5th. The sun twinkled in the dewy blades of the old farm as I walked around the skirts of the now abandoned alt car hall with Gabby. The colours of her past experiences leapt onto the bare stony walls and my skin prickled with electricity. Finally, I had found someone generous and open. Nick was completely wrong. This wasn't nuts at all. It was just an experience. And I began to view the paranormal more like like history. A history rooted in experience rather than legend and fear. I resolved to keep going. I have to get to the bottom of the story no matter what. Told you not to come in here. What the fuck, Helen? It's none of your business, okay? Is that a Ouija board? I'm not using it. I, I just... Helen, stop. Please, just stop. This has gone too far. I found out who he is, okay? He used to work there, in the tower. What? His wife dies at sea. I'm pretty sure... Helen, it's not real. Just stop all this now. You need help. But now I know that these kind of things exist. And that there are so many links it's impossible to ignore. He's a poltergeist. I'm sure of it. There's proof. Just look at the documentation. No. Nowadays, they're generally accepted, I'm not entirely convinced, I don't know what it is, but um, I think the generally accepted explanation for a poltergeist is something called, it makes use of something called RSPK, or Recurrent Spontaneous Psychokinesis. The idea is that they basically, they're a human phenomenon, and it, they somehow come from the human mind, and they're expressions of, of psychic phenomena, which take on a form appropriate to that person. Anyway, after this experience of the electricity, I asked the vicar to come and talk to me, and he said, right, I'll come over. He had people praying for him, and he, he sat down, and he said he felt a lot tireder than he should feel. So he suggested that I did go ahead and 
and have the place exercised, you know, in the light of all the sort of different things that were happening. First of all, did you mind if it was a joint service between Church of England? Because, you know, I did go to the church there sometime and he'd obviously helped me and, you know, and, um, but also because I get in touch with the Catholic Church. So um, I did. And I found a priest who, I think he's dead now, a priest who's known for his healing ministry called Father Jimmy Connor, and had a chat with him, and expecting him to tell me I was stressed, but he, he listened to what I had to say and said, well, no, you need to get in touch with the parish priest and there are people who can deal with this sort of thing, you know, and, and do an exorcism of, of the property. So, um, so I did, and they both came out. And I had the most horrible experience I've ever had in my life. And it, it just felt as if something sprang to life inside me and pushed out through my skin. You couldn't see anything. They all noticed. I shuddered and asked me, was I all right? I felt as if my skin should be like, like in Tom and Jerry or something. The skin's just sticking out. Because I felt as if it pushed through my skin out. I was warned that things might get a bit tricky immediately afterwards. When you walked along that, the long landing that the children called the, the run of terror... It was as if a kettle was going off. You know, the steam from the kettle. As I walked along, it happened several times, it was as if smoke, as if a steam sort of appeared in front of you. And then the evening after, we were all sitting watching television, we were watching something about the Second World War, and um, a picture of Hitler came on the television, and the room smelled, filled with the smell of urine. And I blamed the dog, because I'd been told by the priests also to not give in to the fear of this sort of thing and they keep it all very low-key just to quietly go in deal with it sort of thing so I blamed the dog I said oh god you know because she's quite an old dog you know um Peppy's gone and peed somewhere knowing damn well it wasn't knowing it was that was that never happened again but that was immediately afterwards and I think everything was giving a last little kick off before it had to sort of leave the priest I spoke to said said listen it's it's been there's been things here for hundreds of years. He says, in God's eyes, that's nothing, you know. And there are things, there will be little hiccups from, you know, from events that have happened. Help, this has gone far enough. You've become obsessed. No, I haven't. I just have to do this, OK? I've charted the recurrence of it, and tonight You're is... completely obsessed. You talk about it non-stop. You haven't slept. The walls are plastered in photographs of the same flashing light over and over again. I'm telling you, it's nothing. The light is only seen once a year on the same day from that tower, Nick. I can feel it. I can't waste an opportunity like this. The project has come too far. The project? This is not about the project. Do you think Chris would want you traipsing around on the beach in the middle of the night in Waterloo? Chris would definitely... Anyway, it's, this isn't about Chris. It's about you. Please, can you at least just go tomorrow when it's light, if it's that important to you? Helen, Ellie, please. I'm going now. I'll see you later. August 28th, 11.58pm. I'm stood at the foot of the radar tower, just waiting for a glimpse of the light. The night is cold and eerie as the waves crash with dark, heavy laps onto the shore. It is especially black. The stars have retreated from the blanket of the sky and now I must wait with only minutes to go until I can glimpse it. There's a, there's a, it's, it sounds like a dog, but I'm not sure. Oh, shit! It's bigger than a dog. It's dark with, with dark black fur. And it, I don't know, I don't know. It's growling at me. Its, it's eyes, its eyes are really glowing, almost, almost red. It's, 
interview is being recorded and may be used in evidence if the case is brought before a court. The time by the clock in here is 13.32 and it's the 8th of September 2015. My name is Sean Connor, an officer here at the station. So Nick, are you comfortable? Yes, thank you. You said she left in a rush. Yes, I, I couldn't stop her. Do you normally stop her doing things, seeing people? No. I heard you were a jealous man, Nick. What? On some of the dictaphone tapes found at the scene, it sounds like you were jealous of her boss, yes. Was Helen having an affair, Nick? What? No, that, that was just a stupid joke. Helen wasn't... This is ridiculous. OK, what was your relationship with Helen like, Nick? Good. It was good. No arguments? No. Well, not really. Well, that's interesting because we have reports from neighbours that tell us otherwise. Oh, come on. August 28th. Noise complaint from number 27. Apparently lots of shouting, slammed doors, just hours before she went missing. It wasn't like that. August 12th. A neighbour noticed that Helen looked haggard, felt as if she was on the verge of tears. You have no evidence to say that's because of me. Helen was depressed. Helen was depressed. Well, there were no doctor's records to say that, Nick. Doctor's records? Yes, but we do have a sprained ankle and bruising July 16th. That was probably because from her rooting around in the middle of that bloody night that fucking sit, tower. Sit down, please, Nick. I just want to find her. Everybody wants to find her. Who was it who gave her the idea for the radar tower? No, it, it wasn't an idea. It was well, it came from you. You told her a story about an old man in the radar tower. How do you know this? Well, it's all here. In Helen's notes, her tapes. You were the only person who knew where she was going that night. What? Do you like telling stories, Nick? Are you telling a ghost story right now? Or have you been telling a ghost story all along? I tell you about Ginny Greentooth. The minute she sat on your windowsill, you knew there was someone was going to go. 